Welcome to the sermons and teachings from the Catalyst Fellowship with Ipai Michael. We hope the message you're about to listen to will edify you and cause you to experience exponential growth. And now, the message. Today we're starting a new series and it is titled Discipleship. This is Discipleship Part 1. Discipleship 1. So I'd like you to open your Bibles with me. Um, to a very familiar text, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. Are you all there? Alright, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 says, All scripture is given by the inspiration of God. That is, all scripture is God-breathed. That is, God-inspired scriptures. And it says, it is what? It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. So, scriptures are from God. And they are profitable. The word profitable means advantageous. Profitable. For what? For doctrine. What is doctrine? Doctrine is what we believe and what we teach. So you get what you believe from where? From scriptures. Second, it is profitable for reproof. Reproof means proof. Evidence. The Greek word there is elenko. It means evidence. So, you get what you believe from scriptures, but you also get the evidence for why you believe what you believe. From where? From scriptures. And then next, he says, for correction. So, every believer should be able to receive correction as long as it is from the Word of God. And every believer should also correct others from the Word of God, not your feelings. As long as the Word says it, then you have to accept it. Then you have to believe it. So scripture is profitable for reproof, for correction. And lastly, he says, for instruction in righteousness. This is guidance. This is teaching in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good work. This is important. So it means that everything I'm going to be doing today and teaching you, as long as it comes from scriptures, You have to receive it because scripture is profitable, is advantageous for reproof, to give you evidence, but for correction most importantly. So we have to see scripture as what? As a higher authority over our lives. As long as it comes from scriptures, I must accept it regardless of how I feel. Scriptures have to form the basis for our living, the basis for correction, the basis for our response to things in life. 
So profitable for correction. I have to receive it as long as it is from scriptures. And this is very important. And when it comes to today's teaching, I want you to have this at the back of your mind. That I'm going to receive what the Bible has to say. I'm going to be instructed by the word. I'm going to be corrected by the word. You see, if you attend any local church or any local assembly of believers, if these things do not happen to you, that's a sign that you're not in the right place. And you understand what I'm saying? If after a period of time, you are not indoctrinated, something is wrong. That you can't hold in your hand what you've learned and you're not able to even explain it to others. Something is wrong. Do you understand what I'm saying? Can you all hear me? Okay, you missed the part of what I said. So I'll take that again. That every local community you attend, if you're not experiencing these things, then that is a sign that you're not in the right place. So, in any local community you are, if you're not being indoctrinated, it's a sign that you're not in the right place. That after a period of time, you can't hold to what you've learned. You can't hold it in your hands and say, this is what I've learned after this period of time. And you can't even teach it to others. You're not being indoctrinated. That's a sign that you're not in the right place. If you're not being given evidence, proof, for what you believe, it's another sign that you're not in the right place. If you're not being corrected, if every teaching goes according to what you want it to go by, you're not being corrected by the word of God. That's another sign that you are not in the right place. And if you're not being instructed in righteousness, it's another sign that you're not in the right place. Hallelujah. Alright, so if you're, if you're not being indoctrinated, if you're not being given evidence of what you believe, and lastly, I said, if you're not being corrected, it's a sign that you're not in the right place. And lastly, I said, if you're not being instructed in righteousness, it's a sign that you're not in the right place. Hallelujah. And that's why we're doing this teaching today. Discipleship. True spiritual mentorship. And that's what we're going to be starting with. I'm going to take it gradually. There are, um, there are a few parts in this series. If you miss one, you might as well have missed the rest. Because every part is tied together to help you understand this very well. So make sure that you don't miss any part of this teaching. It is very important. Hallelujah. So true spiritual mentorship. That's what we're going to be starting with. We're going to be opening a text that at least if you've been here for a while, you would have heard me say, at least I probably started your discipleship with this text. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 25. But we'll start reading from verse 23. So I want you all to open your Bibles, Philippians chapter 1 and verse 23. And this is Paul writing to the church in Philippi. Verse 23 says, For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ. What that means is that I have two options. I'm in a fix. I have two options. The first option is a desire to depart and be with Christ. And he says, this is far better. And in verse 24, he says, nevertheless, some versions say, nonetheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful. For who? For you. 
So this is the Apostle Paul saying, listen guys, I have two options. I have a desire to go and be with Christ. I want to go do that. That's, that, that's better for me. But to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. So this is a pastor talking to his church members, saying I could go and go be with Christ. But if I stay, it's needful for you. And verse 25 says, Having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith. Hallelujah. Listen, this is very important to look and to see, rather. Two decisions. One is beneficial to him. The other is needful for the people he's discipling, for the church, for the community that he's training. And he says, having this confidence, that is knowing that what I'm doing by staying is needful for you. He says, having this confidence that is needful to you, I know that I shall abide and continue with you for your fortress and joy of faith. So the first things I want you to note in this text are the two words he used, abide and continue. He had a desire to be with Christ, but now he's making a decision to abide and continue with them. The Greek word abide is meno. The Greek word continue is sumparameno. Meno is spelled M-E-N-O. Sumparameno is spelled S-U-M-P-A-R-A-M-E-N-O. So he's making a decision to continue with them. He's confident. He's confident that it's needful for them for him to stay. And he says, having this confidence, confidence rather, stage fright, don't worry, I don't, <laughs> I don't show. I will continue with you. I will abide and continue with you. So meno, which is abide, means to remain, not to depart, to continue to be present. Another way to understand the word, the word is to be held. Or to be kept continually. So, you see a, a sense of continuity in the meaning of this word. You see someone talking about continual presence. You see, that word abide, that word meno, is the same word that was used in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14. When Paul was speaking to Timothy, and he said in verse 14, he says, But continue in the things which you've learned, having been assured of whom you've learned them from. That's the word. Continue. Meno. Continue. Be continually present. Be, you know, to be held, to be kept continually. To remain, to abide. So it says abide and continue. Now continue there, like I said, is the Greek word what? Sumparameno. And the word, I can break it down into three. And it's basically for emphasis. I will show you. Sumparameno, like I spelled S-U-M. P-A-R-A-M-E-N-O. You can divide the word into three. S-U-M means with or accompanying. Para means from or beside. And meno, like I explained, means to remain, to abide, to not depart. So basically, it's an emphasis of the same word meno. And this time it means to abide together with, to continue to live together. Are you understanding what I'm saying? So Paul is saying, Having this confidence, I know that I shall remain. I shall be constantly present. I shall abide with you. I shall remain consistently 
I shall not depart. I shall remain with you. I shall live together with you in more clear terms. And then he said, for your what? For your forgeries. So both words talk about a consistent presence. The consistent presence of Paul with the church in Philippi. And then he explains the reason. He says, for your forgeries. The Greek word forgeries there is prokopi which means progress or advancement or profiting. So let's read that text together now and see if you understand it better. I mean, it's straight betwixt two from verse 23. Having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better, nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more for you. He now says, having this confidence, I know that I shall remain, I shall stay, I shall continue to live, I shall abide, I shall not depart from you all. I shall remain with you for your forgeries, that is for your advancement, for your progress, for your profiting. Are you seeing the expected result of him continuing with them? Profiting, forgeries, advancement. Paul is saying there is something that would happen if I stay with you. What is that in Procope? It means that there is a predictable outcome of a ministry gift abiding with the body that he set over. Are you with me? The consistent result is advancement. Paul says, I am confident that my abiding will cause you to experience progress. Procope. Paul's presence with them will cause them to grow. So, there is what they would know because he's there. There is a maturity that they would come to. A maturity in the faith that would happen if Paul is there. Which if Paul is not there, they would not have. Are you understanding this? This has to be clear. A predictable outcome of him abiding with them. And some might say, you know, why? Why grow? Why is this even important? I'm saved. But Paul here is particular. These are believers he's talking to. He's particular about their growth. You can almost believe that Paul had a curriculum mindset because a curriculum has a, a set of things that you have to, you know, you have to learn. So Paul saying that him continuing with them will cause them to advance, to, to receive an advancement that they will not have if he's not with them. It's a curriculum idea. There is what you would learn because I'm here. There is a profiting that will happen to you because I'm with you. Is this clear to somebody? And I've said time and again that the most important thing after salvation is what? Is revelation, knowledge. And I'll explain this later. But he didn't just stop at Procopi. He says, Fordrance and joy of faith. And a lot of you have read this text before having, having this confidence. I know I shall abide and continue with you all for your fortress and joy of faith. And you probably don't understand what the joy of faith there really is. He says his staying would cause them to grow. But not just grow. Would cause them to experience joy of faith. And many times this is not usually emphasized. But this describes a time where your convictions are no more a burden to you. Where the things of God are no longer burdensome to you, are no longer a burden to you. 
where it doesn't feel like a chore to do the things of the Spirit, but rather it becomes delightful. That's what we mean when we say joy of faith. A joy that comes with your spiritual growth. Joy as a result of the convictions which you would come to. Are you with me? Where you are content and satisfied in the answers you've received in Christ. And so you are so excited. You've learned about your assurance of, of, of eternal life. You've learned about who you are in Christ Jesus. The believer's authority. There is a joy that flows. A joy such that you want to join fellowship. And it doesn't feel like a, 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 a chore for you that you are not interested in doing. It doesn't feel like that thing where you, know, you, don't, want to, you don't want to do. But it becomes something you are interested in. When they say it's time for fellowship or it's time to study the word, you're excited to go do it. When it's time to pray, you are excited to go do it because you've learned about prayer. You've learned about everything. So Paul is saying, I am confident that I will abide with you. And this, this, as a result of me abiding with you, you would experience what? Advancement and what? Joy of faith. So, there is what you would come to learn because I have stayed with you that would make the things of God no longer duty to you but delight to you. Are you getting this? It would not feel like a hard responsibility or a hard chore any longer. Your heart will easily flow to it because you've been trained. It's time to pray three hours. You don't feel like, oh my God, I'm going to die. No, you've been trained on prayer. So you can go. You become joyful to the things of God. It's time to fast. You are excited rather than thinking, oh my God, I'm going to die. You are not running away from the body of Christ because you've learned the importance of being with the body of Christ. And so you are more excited about fellowship. You're more excited about worship. You're more excited about prayer. It's no longer duty. It's now delight. This is joy of faith. You can rejoice in Christ Jesus. You can rejoice in the peace you've received in him. So Paul believes that he would continue with them. And the expected result is fordrance. Say fordrance. Are we sleeping? Expected result is fordrance. Say fordrance. And joy of faith. Say joy of faith. Amazing. And so when you go to the next, the next verse, verse 26, it says that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus for me by my coming to you again. So now, when you read the text together, it now makes sense. Paul believes that he's staying with them. He's, co he's consistent, you know, um, remaining with them. Him continuing with them will cause them to experience progress in the faith and joy in the faith. And in the end, he says that what? That they are rejoicing. They are rejoicing. Maybe more abundant in Jesus. So now you can rejoice in Christ Jesus. You can rejoice in Christ Jesus. You can be excited about the things of God. And this is important. So, what I just described to you gives you the true result of any true discipleship, fordrance, and joy in the faith. The result of any true discipleship, fordrance, and what? And joy 
in the faith. So three points. Every true discipleship must be a consistent and present training. Listen, the word abide and continue here. Meno and some parameno talk about they talk about consistent presence, not to depart. So for those of you that think discipleship is a one-time thing, let let him disciple me one week. It talks about a consistent presence. It's not on and off. So Paramelo is an emphasis to abide with, almost to live together. That's a better picture. To live together. Discipleship must be a consistent and present training. Consistent and present. When I say present, a lot of you say, who, who is discipling you? You say Papa Kennedy again. Papa Kennedy again is a great man of God, but he's dead. How can that discipleship be present and continuous? Are you understanding what I'm saying now? Who is your mentor? You give the name. Has he met you before? No. Have you met him before? I know him. Does he know you? He has to be what? Consistent and what? Present. Does this make sense? Meno sum parameno. Meno sum parameno. Abide and continue. Abide and continue. Consistent, present. Number two, it must cause you to experience progress and maturity in Christ. True discipleship must cause you to experience progress and maturity in Christ. So that idea that the way I am growing in Christ is that me and my friends meet and we pray together. Who is the leader? None of us. The Holy Spirit. Mm -mm. It must cause you to experience progress and maturity in Christ. And we know that God's strategy for your growth is to be taught by man. I won't go ahead of myself. I'll still explain that. So, number two, it must cause you to experience progress and maturity in Christ. Number three, it must lead you to joy in the faith. Are you with me? A delightful experience in following Christ and awaiting his second coming. So, when we talk about Jesus coming again, a true disciple would be excited about the coming of Jesus because you've learned about who you are in Christ and the assurance you have. So you cry, Maranatha, as against being scared. So, it must lead you to what? Joy in the faith. It must lead to a delightful experience in following Christ and awaiting His second coming. Hallelujah. So we can see here clearly that God's desire is for us to grow. What Paul was describing here was basically growth, spiritual growth. You've been saved, yes, but that's not the end. You need to grow. And God's idea and design for the growth of every believer is discipleship. God's idea for the growth of every believer is discipleship. This is important. God's design for your growth is discipleship. That's why you can be born again and yet you are yet to see the fruits of the abundant life which you've received or you've read about in scriptures. Many, of, many people will say, oh, I'm saved, but I don't know why. I'm not, I'm not seeing the fruits. I'm not seeing the results of the abundant life I've received in Christ. I'm not seeing it in my Christian living. I'm not praying as I ought to. 
It is because God's design is that you are discipled. Are you with me? God's design is that you are discipled. You see, many times we get people saved, we automatically expect them to know how to pray, we automatically expect them to know how to evangelize, we automatically expect them to know how to do everything. Listen, God's design is that they are taught. God's design is that they are taught. This is important. Spiritual growth is not imparted. It's as a result of proper discipleship. Did you hear that? Spiritual growth is not by impartation. It is by proper discipleship. Everyone who gets saved does not immediately become a man of prayer. Everyone who gets saved does not immediately start praying four hours. Everyone who gets saved does not immediately you know, start, start, start walking in the gifts of the Spirit or start understanding why they need to fast or start going to church almost every day of the week or understands why they need to come for fellowship almost four times in a week. They need to be discipled. The delight that Paul described comes from proper discipleship. That is the joy in the faith. Comes from proper discipleship. So maybe what you want to experience, the kind of of closeness to God, the kind of growth you want to experience, the growth you prayed about at at the beginning of 2022, maybe the reason why you've not gotten it yet is because you've not been properly discipled. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is what Paul calls progress and joy in the faith. My goal in this introduction is to basically do a commentary on Philippians chapter 1, 20, 23 to 25, and Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. That's basically my goal. So open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. And I'll just do a quick explanation on it. It might not be quick, but that's the goal. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Ephesians 4.11 says, And he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. Let me stop there. You see, many times when we read this, what you see, is that God gave some apostles, that is, God gave some people the gift of apostleship, the gift of prophecy, the gift to be evangelists, the gift to be pastors, the gift to be teachers. So, what comes to your mind is that God has distributed this gift. So, when you are talking to people, they will say, have you figured out your own office yet? Is he apostle they gave you? Is he prophet they gave you? Is he... You know, one of my friends came to meet me one time when I was in school and he said, have you discovered your office yet? I'm like, what are you talking about? He said, is it, did your spirit give you apostleship? Or, That's what comes to your mind when you read this. That's what comes to your mind when you read this. But that's not what that text is actually saying. It says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. KJV might confuse you to think that God gave people gifts to the apostles, prophets, and, you know, is sharing it. No, 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 no. If you read it properly, it says, and he gave some. The word some there, and I want us to do this. So when I taught you how to interpret the Bible, I taught you that um, sometimes there's a barrier in Bible interpretation because the Bible has been translated. It was not originally written in English. You know, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew and Aramaic, and the New Testament was written in Greek. 
And so it had to be translated even before it got to English. And so in translation, there are certain barriers that might have happened. For example, some, lang you, some languages have more words than some languages. So for let's, let's talk about maybe Yoruba to English. If you are Yoruba here, you might understand this. When you say something like, Oyawa Malo, you hear a lot of people try to say it in English. That's where you get English like, Oya, come and be going. Because they are trying to directly interpret word for word what he said in Yoruba. So, Oya, come. Oya, wa, ma, come and be going. Do you know what I'm saying? So, a lot of people want to do direct translation. But it cannot work. You can't get the actual meaning of the word by direct translation. But that's not even where I'm going. Where I'm going is this. The Greek language has more words than the English language. For example, you say love in English, but in the Greek you have agape. How many of you have heard of agape before? The God kind of love. You have filio. That's friendship, where you get Philadelphia from. You know, you have two other ones as well. So, you might just say love, but in the Greek there are three words for it. How about knowledge? Gnosis, epignosis. I read me, prognosco. So, sometimes the meaning of a text might be obscured. Sometimes the meaning of a text might be obscured if you just read it in plain English. So that's why I use those Greek words. And if you've not listened to the sermon, you can go listen to the sermon. It's called Contend. Um, it's on the podcast. The podcast link will be sent. Now, let me go on in my explanation. When he said, and he gave some... KJV might confuse you when you hear he gave some. But if you check in the Greek, the word some there doesn't actually mean that he gave some men. The word some there means truly. Those of you that are with your Bibles, you can check it. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Just go there and check the Greek word for some. If you found it, let me know. If you've seen it also, you can, you can paste it in the comment section. Alright, someone has pasted it. The Greek word there is men. And what does men mean? Check on that. It means indeed. Can you see it? Indeed. So, let me copy it out and paste it in the comment section for you all to see it. So, the word some there, in the Greek actually is indeed. So, you're like, how did indeed turn to some? So, when you read this text, the right rendition is that he gave indeed apostles, not that he gave some people apostles. Are you getting what I'm saying? So, he gave truly apostles, prophets, evangelists. Are you understanding what I'm saying? So now, the interpretation will not be as obscure as, you know, as it was looking before. Because now you can clearly see that he was not talking about the fact that he distributed those gifts to people, but rather, he gave truly apostles. He gave truly prophets. He gave truly evangelists. He gave truly pastors. He gave truly teachers. Are you with me? So God gave gifts to men in form of apostles, prophets, not that he gave men the gift of prophets or ever. No, 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 no. Those men themselves were the gifts that God gave. So your apostle is God's gift to you. 
Your pastor is God's gift to you. The evangelist is God's gift. Does that make sense to everybody? It's turning your head. Let me take it again. Let me take it again. Read the text. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. Truly apostles, truly prophets, pastors, teachers. Nothing in this should make you think that he gave people the gift of being an apostle or prophet. (laughs) Those men themselves were the gifts. God gave gifts to you. So the pastor is God's gift to you. The evangelist is God's gift. The prophet is God's gift. If you go on, you would understand better. It says, for the perfecting of the saints or equipping of the saints. So listen, God gave these people, we call them ministry gifts. God gave your pastor for your perfecting. God gave the evangelist. God gave the prophets. God gave the teacher for your perfecting. I'll pause here to be sure everybody understands this now. Who doesn't understand? Alright, I'll take it again. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. Are you looking at the text? Good. It says, And he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. Ideally, when you read this, what you would you know, perceive is that you know, he gave some apostles. That is, he gave some the grace to be apostles. He gave some people the grace to be prophets. He gave some people the grace to be so. Maybe God gave Joseph the grace to be an evangelist so he can all, he should stay in his grace or gave me the grace to be an apostle. So that's what you might perceive when you read it. But that's not what it means. And that's not what this text is trying to tell us. Because some there means truly. So when you read it rightly, what you would understand is that These are the gifts Christ gave to the church. Apostles. The men were the gifts that Christ gave to the church. To help you grow. For your perfecting. Do you understand? So, when you read it together, you understand now that these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. He gave us apostles, he gave us prophets, he gave us evangelists, he gave us pastors and teachers. For the perfecting of our sins, that is for building us up. So a clearer way to understand is, for example, God gave me as a gift to the Catalyst community for your perfecting. Do you understand that? So the men are the gifts. Is it making sense now? The men are the gifts. Is that clear now for the people who didn't understand before? Alright, Ella, is it clear to you too? Alright, good. For the perfecting of the saints. For the equipping of the saints. That's what it really means. So God gave you gifts. In the sense of, in form of humans, God's structure to build every believer is through another man. God uses men to raise men. So God gave you men as gifts. That's what that text means. God gave men as gifts to build the church up. So he says in the next verse, for the perfecting of the saints. Perfecting there means for the equipping of the saints. For the work of ministry. And it says, for the edification of the body of Christ. The word edification there means building up. It's a construction term. So God gave men, ministry gifts to you to build you up. Does this make sense? So the equipping of Christians, 
the building up of the people, their furtherance and joy in the faith is in the hands of ministry gifts. Your growth, progress, and advancement is in the hands of other men. Does that make sense to you? And that brings us to our first point, which is that men are God's gifts to men. 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 That's the first point. God has given ministry gifts to help you grow. That's God's structure. That's God's idea. Let's go to verse 13. We've read verse 12. We've read 11. We've read 12. Verse 13 now says, Till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So, God gave men as gifts to equip the body of Christ so that we would all come to the unity of the faith. And many times when people hear unity of the faith, what they are thinking is unity in spite of faith. But that's not what this text is saying. It's not saying be united regardless of what you believe. Mm -mm. It says, till we all come. So, ministry gifts are supposed to build us up Till we all come to the unity of the faith. That is, till we are all united in faith. United in what we believe. And it's almost the irony that is happening in our day to day. Because we are not united in the faith. We have different people that believe in different things. It says ministry gifts are supposed to build you. Till you come to the unity of the faith. Better rendered unanimity. Agreement of doctrine. They equip you by one unified teaching. How do we get that unified teaching? It has to come from Christ. Christianity is a taught faith. So, that unified teaching has to be what Christ taught. So, ministry gifts are supposed to build you up by the teachings of Christ. And no other teaching. A unified teaching. A unified teaching. One doctrine. Unanimity. One doctrine. And the only source of secure and sound doctrine has to come from the greatest teacher, Jesus. You see, we see a perfect example of discipleship in Jesus, in, in Jesus' ministry. And there is a premium on the teaching ministry of Jesus because he's from God. And so if he is from God, his teachings about everything on earth has to be accepted as God's teachings. Do you understand what I'm saying? That places a premium on what Jesus taught. And John tried to show us this severally by telling us in John chapter 1, he says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was trying to let us understand that in the beginning was the Word, the Logos of God, the thought of God. It was with God. And it was God. And in verse 14, he says, and the Word became flesh. And dwelt amongst us. This was John trying to show you that the man that dwelt amongst you is not ordinary. He's from God. So you have to accept what he's teaching. He's the word of God. He's God. You know, I had a rendition today. I think his message 
I don't I really use message but who has the message version of John chapter 1 verse 14 he says yes I've seen it now it's in the comment section I'll read it out he says the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood that's a good rendition he moved into the neighborhood so when we see this guy we know that he is the word of God become flesh he moved into an episode we have to understand that whatever he's teaching is God's teaching you know? accept his teaching are you with me? I accept his teaching. It places a premium on his teaching. His teaching is important. In verse 15, it says, John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He that comes after me is preferred before me. He was before me. So John was telling you, accept this guy. Forget me. In John 1 verse 27, he said, He said, He, you know, he it is. Who coming after me is preferred before me? He says, whose shoe latcheth am unworthy to lose? This was him trying to describe. I know if he come out in sandal, this guy is a great guy. He was saying Jesus' teaching must be accepted. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1 says, God who had sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophet has in these last days spoken to us you know, by his son whom he has appointed heir of all things by whom also he made the world. So the writer of Hebrews is letting you know that this is Jesus, God made manifest in the flesh. God was talking to them before through prophets. Now he's talking to us through what? His son. So whatever Jesus taught is what is sound doctrine. Do you get this now? Whatever Jesus taught is what is sound doctrine. And he transferred this knowledge through discipleship. He didn't lay hands on them for them to learn. No. He spent years with them, teaching them. Because Christianity is a taught faith. It's a taught faith. You learn precepts by precepts. It's a taught faith. He transferred the knowledge through discipleship. So in reading the writings of the apostles, we can know the teachings of Christ. In the epistles, we find sound doctrine. That is the doctrine that must be taught. So when the writer, when, when Paul says that ministry gifts are to what? Are to, to build you up till you come to the unity of the faith. That is till we all teach and believe the same thing, the teachings of Christ. He says till we come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. He says unto the measure of the stature of fullness of Christ. So until we are full in Christ. So listen. Ministry gifts are supposed to help you till you attain the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. Ministry gifts are supposed to help you till you attain the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. So the second point here is that doctrine matters in discipleship. Doctrine matters in discipleship. In what we are reading here, he's not saying, he said, yes, men are sent to disciple you. But he's also saying that their responsibility is to teach you till you come to the unity of the faith. So anyone who is not teaching you to come to the unity of the faith, anyone who is not teaching this true message, is not, on, is not in, the, in the pattern of true discipleship. So you, know, you need to know how to excuse yourself once the doctrine is not right. I know you want to manage it. And say, oh, he's my friend. Eh, eh, he has been teaching us since we were small. But what we see through scriptures is that through discipleship, 
has a lot to do with doctrine. Does this make sense? It has a lot to do with doctrine. So doctrine matters in discipleship. So the next point in verse 14. Some of you have never, you have read Ephesians 3, Ephesians 1, Ephesians 4, sorry, 11. You've read it over and over and you've never seen it like this. In verse 14, look at what he then says. He says that we henceforth no more be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and the cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Let me try and read that to you in NLT. Maybe KJV is giving you a headache. In verse 40 says, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Now this is important. Now that you know that there should be maturity, what is maturity? Paul is describing maturity as you staying grounded in sound doctrine. Not tossed to and fro. Today, this church, they are popular. That's your church. Tomorrow, one new guy is coming, he's teaching. That's where you are. Maturity comes by you being grounded. Have you stayed under somebody and learned so much so? That learning will bring you to a point where you are not moved around by just any teaching. You are able to filter and decipher. You are stable in doctrine. And I said doctrine is what you believe and teach. The equivalent are the teachings of Christ. You are stable in the teachings of Christ. So the effect of ministry gifts in your life will give you stability such that you'll be grounded in the word of God and you'll be stable. You'll be what? Grounded in the word of God and you'll be stable. So we see here that it is babes that move from one place to another following the latest doctrine. Mature people, people who are trained by ministry gifts, they stay. They stay. You know, it says, if one thing to see is that if you are not tossed to and fro by and carried about by every wind of doctrine, it means you can distinguish sound doctrine from false doctrine. Some people, any new program, you now you first register. Now you is you that will first be there. Any program you see, sometimes the problem is not even how many programs you are going for. Sometimes it's one program, but there are seven ministers or fifteen in one program. Who are you going to listen to? They give them five five minutes. What kind of training or teaching or edification is going five five minutes? The funny thing is that all of them, fifteen of them, will say different things and contradict each other. The problem is that you cannot even differentiate that they are that they are contradicting each other. And I'm not saying this to mock anybody. I'm saying this to let you know that when maturity comes, when you are in a place and two people are saying two things opposing each other, you'll be able to tell. Babes cannot tell. But the discipleship under ministry gift will raise you up to a point where you can tell sound doctrine from false doctrine. Hi, are you getting what I'm saying? You can tell because you've been trained. You can tell. True discipleship will make you stable. In sound doctrine. That's why a man who has no disciple is dangerous. He might make to say one sentence. In that sentence, the two things he's saying are fighting each other, and he does not know. So, 
The point here is that discipleship gives you safety. Discipleship gives you safety. It saves you from error. It saves you from error. You're not going about based on new teachings or whatever you hear. You are grounded in a place. You are planted. You are able to... He says, yes, you will not be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. And I to say, you will not be immature because it's immature people that go from place to place. Any little thing, they run after it. He says, we will not be influenced. When people try to trick us with lies, so clever that they sound like truth. So it's not like... What we are saying is that those things might not even sound like they are a lie. You might not be able to tell. But because you've been discipled rightly, you can differentiate. So discipleship gives you what? Safety. And then verse 15. It says, instead, we speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. So get this now. All true, you were babes. Your mouths were shut. But now, it says, speaking the truth in love, Maria Paka. Are you getting this now? Sure. When you are discipled properly, you are not going to be tossed by every new thing. You are stable and grounded. But because you are stable and grounded, now you would speak. Now you would speak. Notice in all the passage, there was no speaking. It was all about what ministry gifts would do. But now, after you've been trained, you would speak. Do you understand this? You would speak. It says you will speak the truth in love. Listen, it says you are still growing every day to become more like Christ, who is the head of, and the head of the body. So your ministry gift is training you to be more like Christ. But now, you've been silent for a while. But after that, it was all about ministry gifts before training you. But after that, you would speak. You would speak the truth in love. Growing every day. So the point here is that discipleship would prepare you for ministry. Every true discipleship would not leave you a disciple forever, but would make you become a discipler. Did you hear that? Every true discipleship would not leave you as a disciple, but would make you what? A discipler. Now you would speak the truth in love. You are trained now. You are grounded in the faith. You are grounded in the faith. So discipleship will prepare you for ministry. And then in verse 16, it says, From whom the whole body, let me read it in NLT. It says, He makes the whole body fit together perfectly, as each part does its own special work to help the other parts grow. So that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So one thing that we have to see is that it is one thing to be saved. Yes? It's another thing to grow in the knowledge of God. And, as, and spiritual growth is God's there for us. But one thing that this is showing us is that proper discipleship would make you able to actively participate and supply. Are you with me? And the point here is that the church under a ministry gift is God's plan for your growth because in that community is where you'll be edified. He says the body would grow by that which every joint supplies. So listen, you are not meant to be in isolation. Now you are in a community 
under a ministry head. So you are not alone. Where you are lacking, others will supply. Where others are lacking, you will supply. So the church, under a ministry gift, and I said under a ministry gift for a reason. Three people can gather and say they are a church. But a church has to be led by someone. So the church, under a ministry gift, is God's plan for your growth. Are you with me? So this is important. Very important. So, how many points did I give you there? And that's a quick breakdown of Ephesians 4, 11 down to 16. God's structure is to bless men with men. Look at the book of Ephesians. Majority of the prayers that were prayed there were answered in men. Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 3 and, you know, Paul prayed at the beginning of Ephesians. But in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 3, Scripture says, How that by revelation... He made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in a few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in ages was not made known unto the Son of Man, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets. Listen, he says, as I wrote in a few words, the prayer in Ephesians chapter 1, how many of you know that prayer? He says, I cease not to make, um, give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayer. That's what? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. Um, let's start from... Verse 16. It says, I have not stopped thanking God. We start from 15. Ever since I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I look unto all saints. I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayer, that the Lord Jesus, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. So listen, Paul was praying for them, that their eyes of understanding would be enlightened, that they would know. That they would receive revelation knowledge. They would receive wisdom and revelation by the Spirit. But listen, that prayer in Ephesians chapter 1 was answered in Ephesians chapter 3. Because Paul is saying by revelation, God has made known unto him the mystery. And he has written the mystery in chapter 2. <laughs> so that when they read, they may understand his knowledge in the mystery of Christ. So their prayer for revelation knowledge was answered in their ministry gift, Paul. Hey, do you understand what I'm saying? Are you getting this? It was answered in their ministry gift. What you must know is that God raises men with men. Cornelius had an encounter. And even with his angelic visitation, he was still asked to send for Peter. So you may encounter Jesus like Paul. And still be sent to Ananias. Preaching is man's duty. Discipling is man's duty. Are you getting this? This is God's method. This is God's strategy. And so finally, as I round up, Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18. It says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore, and seek all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. He says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So listen, NLT says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This is a mandate to make disciples of nations. Teach them all I have taught you. Get them saved. Teach them. And so like Paul said, this is the true structure of discipleship. 
Paul said, be ye followers of me, even as I am a follower of Christ. So, proper discipleship today would happen by you following a man as he's following Christ. Are you getting what I'm saying? Some of you wake up and say something like, I cannot follow man, I follow only Jesus. Jesus said to men, go and disciple men. Teach them all I have taught you. So, discipleship would happen by you following a man as he follows Christ. Are you with me? NLT says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. In 1 Corinthians 11, 2, it says, Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I have delivered them unto you. 1 Corinthians 4, 16, Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. Philippians 3, 17, Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as ye have. As, sorry, which walk? So as ye have us, for an example. 1 Thessalonians 1.16 It says, And be ye followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. So you have gifts in men, as instructors, as teachers, as examples, as shepherds, as leaders in the way of the Lord. As leaders in the way of the Lord. So listen. If God has set a structure for your growth and you by yourself exclude yourself from that structure, it then becomes your fault that you are not growing the way God will have you grow. It puts you outside God's plan. Discipleship is God's structure for your growth. Hallelujah. Discipleship is God's structure for your growth. I repeat again, discipleship on that right and sound doctrine is God's structure for your growth. Listen, we've just started and there's a lot to do. We're going to pray the prayer we prayed at the beginning. Say, henceforth, I recognize God's structure for my spiritual growth. I take discipleship more seriously. I'm a faithful disciple. I follow every structure that has been set for my growth and I follow it diligently.